You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. We're in a series called uh, Freeze Frame. And you heard me mention it a little bit a minute ago when I came out during worship, but it's basically centered around this. Sometimes we're running so quick in life that we don't stop long enough to pause or to freeze and see what's going on. And there was this amazing song in the 80s called Freeze Frame, and we've been joking around and laughing about that. Uh, But what we want you guys to do is to pause, to take a picture and examine your life and ask yourself, is it where I'm wanting to go? Is it headed in the direction I want it to head? Where is God in this whole thing? And we've been talking about that through several, several weeks. Pastor Sam even jumped in there one week and did an amazing job. And so it's been great. But we're down to the final two. And we're in the real application. Today, I literally came up with another kind of a game we used to play. But today's title of the message, this part eight, is King of the Hill. How many of you remember the game King of the Hill? Because basically all it was was it was the reason like you could, you could almost get in a fight, but it was legal. Like King of the Hill preceded UFC. and you know, and, I mean, like this was basically, I'm going to find something. It may be an actual hill of dirt. Or more than likely, it could have been like on top of a table or something like that. And basically, it was one simple rule. I'm the king until somebody knocks me off. And everybody would do everything they could to try to knock you off and also knock everybody else off because the last man standing on top of the hill was the winner and was the king. And we used a quote last week that we're going to dive into a little bit more this week, and it says this. Leaders do not chase success. They lead others to succeed. Can I read that again? Leaders do not chase success. They lead others to succeed. When your success supersedes the success of those you lead, you become king on a hill, obsessed with those trying to knock you off. And the concept that we're going to dive into today is that concept that if you're not careful, if you get so caught up in success, then, and that's your whole purpose in life, then you're going to find yourself in a ginormous game of king of the hill. And you're constantly going to be looking around to see who you believe is trying to steal your place on the top of the mountain, and you're going to do everything you can to oppress, belittle, and keep them from climbing to what you think is your pedestal. You know, the other thing we talked about last week, and you can go to the podcast, but to make this week make sense, was we talked about, well, the way you define success is really going to have a lot to do with with what you think you're going to battle over. And last week, we basically asked that question of, of what do you want? And and it was kind of hinged around one concept. Have you ever wanted something so badly that you got it, only to find out you didn't want it? Like you wanted something so badly and you got it, and when you got it, you realized you didn't want it because there was something else that you wanted, and what you had gotten that you thought you want but you no longer wanted is keeping you from getting what you want. I know. You're like, what? We call it regret. The elimination of options to be able to get the things that we want because we got the things that we wanted. And so today I just want to take some time and And dive in because last week we ended with one simple question that we're going to continue. The question was this. Are you living life to get it 
or to give it? Like, are you with your life playing a ginormous king of the hill? Or, if we use Jesus' example, and the greatest will be the greatest servant. Well, I can give you three biblical examples that's going to help you understand that quote that we talked about. As far as leaders don't check success, they help others to succeed. And it's three different examples. We actually talked about a little bit of this in staff, and we were joking around. And, and one of them is in 1 Samuel, and I'll read that. But it's the, it's the whole story of David, who's going to be King David. And this whole concept that's going on, he had his best friend, Jonathan. But I want you to join with me in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and look at Saul in verse 8 and look how everything changed. Now, to set this up, and, and before I read these scriptures, I want to kind of give you the backdrop. I love Old Testament. I love all things because it's intertwined so much. And hopefully by the end of this, it's all going to make sense. But to give you an idea, you, you have Saul, who's king of Jew, the Jewish people, king of Israel, We've had this amazing concept that's taking place. Uh, and all of a sudden, these Philistines are trying to overtake them. Nobody wants to go fight them. There's this one Philistine, you remember the story, named Goliath. And all of a sudden, here comes this young, scrappy teenager with a few stones and a slingshot. And he says, hey, let me at him. Saul tries to equip him with his own armor. And he's like, this is just too big. It weighs me down. I'm just going to go do it the way that I know how to do it. And David goes, and he hits the slingshot, slings the slingshot, hit, takes the stone, hits him between the eyes, kills the giant, beheads him, brings that back to Saul with the head of Goliath, saying, we're winning, we've got this, we're killing them. And then all of a sudden, Saul and David are re-entering the city. And listen to what happens. It's so hilarious. Verse 8, sorry, verse 6. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. And then they had this song they were singing that absolutely tore Saul to pieces. Listen to these words. Are you ready? This is just something they were saying but it absolutely put Saul into a tailspin, so much so that he started having issues mentally. But listen to the words. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. At that moment, when Saul heard these women singing about how he's killed the thousands, and David killed the ten thousand. Immediately, you know what Saul thought? I can't be king of the hill if they think somebody's better than me. In fact, can I read you scripture? Verse 8, and Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David 10,000, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. You know, if you get so caught up in your own success and not trying to help others in guiding towards their success, it literally puts you in a mentality of king of the hill. And that's exactly what Saul says. You could keep reading, and we're not going to take the time today because there's something else I want us to get to. 
But if you were to keep reading this, Saul starts having mental issues and struggles. David comes in and will play an instrument to help relieve this. Next thing you know, David and Jonathan have kind of built this relationship who's Saul's son. And Saul goes out literally with the whole purpose of killing King David. And everything changes when David finds him in a cave asleep. And David goes and cuts the very tip of his robe. And when Saul wakes up, he realizes that if David wanted to... He could have killed him, but he let him live. But the amazing thing is all of that, all of that transpires because of one concept. Saul wanted everything he could get and never wanted to be replaced. You know, there's another time in Scripture that kind of has the same sort of a concept. It's the Pharaoh in Exodus. I'll turn there in Exodus chapter 1. You know, they set up a backdrop. Again, here, here we go with this Old Testament history that's so amazing. It starts in Genesis, and you have Abraham. You know, remember the little story when you was a kid, Father Abraham, and many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Well, in the process, through the lineage, here comes this one child named Jacob. Jacob is the one that ends up wrestling with the, the angel, and he, he won't let him go. Until he tells the angel, he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And that blessing ends up being a generational blessing. And it's out of Jacob that he has these 12 sons. And these 12 sons end up being the 12 tribes of Israel. Because after wrestling with the angel, all of a sudden God blesses him. Then he goes to get his wife, Rachel. But he gets tricked by Rachel's father. And after serving for seven years, he gets Leah rather than Rachel. So he serves another seven years and gets Rachel. And then all of a sudden they have these two servant ladies. I know this is a lot of information, but you need to get the whole story. They start having children. Out of those children end up being the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those children, the first son of Rachel, who was his desire from the very beginning, was this one boy named Joseph. And, of course, you've heard the story of Joseph, the coat of many colors. But Joseph ends up being the one that really saves the Israel people because all of a sudden famine hits. And, and remember Jacob's brother, I mean, Joseph's brothers are trying to kill him. They throw him in a pit. And he ends up getting out of that pit. And he ends up being put into a place to be able to really influence. And in the middle of all of this with the Pharaoh, he's put over all the different things in Egypt. And all of a sudden, he, he reconciles the situation with his father and with his brothers, and he is able to give them food. And all of that sets up because there was this lineage, these stories, this legacy of how God's people were always protected. So God's people, at this point in the Old Testament, before we get to Exodus, they have multiplied to such a point that the Egyptians are worried that God's people's growing so big that at some point they're going to end up overthrowing and taking over Egypt. It's in that concept in Exodus chapter 1 that we get these words. Listen, this is the Pharaoh. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, and then this is key, who did not know Joseph. See, there, there was a commitment that was made between the Pharaoh and Joseph for many, many years. But after Joseph had died, the new Pharaoh came in and he didn't know the commitment. And listen to what this Pharaoh said. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. 
And then in the start of the verse 11, there's a therefore. And he comes up with this plan. He goes to the two Hebrew midwives, and he says, here's what I want you to do. Anytime there is a male that is born, I want you to kill the male, but females can keep living. Well, these two midwives fear the Lord, and they won't do that. And so all of a sudden, these Hebrews are multiplying still. And the Pharaoh comes to them and says, why in the world would you not have done what I asked you to do? And they say, well, we, we fear the Lord. And these people are so vigorous about giving birth. They were birthing the children before we could get to them. Like we would show up, and before we could do anything about the baby, they already had birthed the baby, got the baby, and it was over. We couldn't take the baby and tell them the baby had died. So Pharaoh kind of lets them, he lets them live and says, okay, and he, they have favor because of what they've done. But then they turn around, and Pharaoh tells his people, from now on, any Hebrew child that is born, you cast them in the Nile. Well, Moses' mom comes along, has Moses, gets him to a point where he can uh, no longer be kept silent. And so she realizes she's got to do something about it. So she takes a basket. She takes some pitch or, and puts it in that basket where it would float in water. And she puts it in a basket. And she goes and puts it in the, in the weeds right on the riverbank. And about that time, Moses' mother's sister is watching to see what's going to happen with this baby. And lo and behold, the Pharaoh's daughter comes out. And she sees this basket and wonders what it is. And she asks her servants to go get it. And they go down there and open the basket. And there's a baby that's crying. And it's Moses. And they turn around and she says, oh, I want to keep this baby. Well, Moses' aunt, his mom's sister, sees that this is happening and goes up to the Pharaoh's daughter and says, oh, you want to keep the baby? This would be wonderful. Would you like for me to find a Hebrew woman that has the ability to nurse to be able to feed the baby? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes. And so guess who she goes and gets? Moses' mom. And hence, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's daughter's house, in the Pharaoh's house, and he has this leadership, and it ends up leading to the Exodus. You say, Mickey, man, that's a lot of information. What is the point? Bear with me. little Old Testament class today. But neither one of those stories is the main point of today. See, what I'm wanting us to catch today is how, if you don't watch what you're doing, you're going to get caught up in success so much that you're going to get into a big king of the hill battle. We saw it with King Saul trying to kill David. We saw it with Pharaoh, who's worried about being overtaken, so he starts trying to kill all the Hebrew men. But then, male babies, I should say. But then there's one that's even bigger. It's in the New Testament. It's Matthew. Now, you guys are going to remember this from Christmas time. But it's the story of King Herod. And it starts in verse 18. To kind of set this up, King Herod has turned around, and, and the wise men have come, and they said, Behold, we have seen the king. And King Herod's like, oh, cool. Well, when you find him, tell me. And the wise men, being wise, realize that he's trying to entrap them so that when he tells them that there's going to be a king and where he's at, he, they knew that King Herod was going to try to go and kill that baby so that King Herod could what? Continue and be successful. So with that concept, they have an angel appear to them, and they go back a different route. And when King Herod realizes what's happened, he has a mandate. Prior to that mandate, an angel appears to Joseph and Mary and says, take the boy and go to Egypt, where it all started with Joseph. So they flee to Egypt, and then Herod does this. Listen. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious 
And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So what happens is he realizes that there's kind of a time frame. He is so consumed with the success of his own life. He's so worried about somebody taking his position that he turns around and says, you know what, we're going to kill all males in the land that are two years or younger. Now, obviously, Jesus was not a part of that because an angel had appeared and they had been in Egypt. And then listen to this verse. Here's kind of the key in where we're going today. Verse 18. A verse was, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentations. Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they are no more. This is actually a verse out of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 15. And this is one of the prophecies that are fulfilled with baby Jesus. But I want you to notice some of the things in this verse. Number one, in this verse, he refers back to Rachel. The legacy that was going on and what he was doing is he was referring to the mother of the Israelites. Remember when I talked about Jacob and Jacob having Joseph? Well, Jacob, after he wrestled, ends up having his name changed, and his name becomes Israel. And Rachel, being the one he chased after, ends up being the father where the lineage comes, where we get King Jesus later on through King David. But with all those things being said, here's what I want you to catch today. When you get so caught up in your own success that you start playing king of the hill, there's one thing that you're missing. There's a legacy that God's working that if you're not careful, you will stop everything that God's trying to do. Can I put it a different way? Have you ever had a time in your life that you unintentionally were competing for something that you wanted and stopped and wondered, could I be interfering what God wants for the person you're competing with? Like, is it possible that there's times in your life that in the process of trying to get what you want, that you're unintentionally keeping somebody from what God wants for them? That's kind of a deep thought, isn't it? Like, that doesn't fit our American thinking. Like, there's never a moment that I sit there and go, wait a minute. You mean in the process of chasing success, whatever that means, that I can actually be a hindrance to what God's wanting to do in somebody else's life in derailing their legacy? See, if I turn to Jeremiah, where this prophecy shows up, you know, everybody likes to talk about Old Testament prophecies, especially right now. You know, everybody's got 50 million things that they're saying and quoting and talking about all these different things. You say, Mickey, what's your opinion on that? I, I, I believe studying God's Word, know God's Word. But you know what? A lot of times when you know God's Word, you don't have to say nothing because truth will speak for itself. But everybody likes to talk about Old Testament prophecy as far as when it was fulfilled. But a lot of times people don't want to talk about when it's actually come to fruition. In that chapter 31 where he has this prophecy of, of there's going to be this weeping through the nation of Israel. There's going to be this lamenting because all these babies were going to be, uh, will be killed. 
and this does take place. There was actually something more that Jeremiah prophesied. Can I read that? It's Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with, with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their Lord, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother say, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them is the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. See, in Jeremiah, he has a prophecy that he's talking about some of the worst days that's ever going to hit Israel. Could you imagine what it would be like if we took our small county, Bradley County, and all of a sudden tonight, every single child two years or younger that was a male would be killed? Could you imagine the sorrow? Could you imagine the, the lamenting? Could you imagine all the struggles? Could you imagine the funeral homes? Could you imagine all the funeral processions? Could you imagine all the different things that are going out? But it was in that struggle because of one man, because of one man trying to play king of the hill, that a whole nation was mourning and crying out. It was because of one king that King David was fleeing for his life because of one man's obsession with success. It was because of one Pharaoh that a whole group of Hebrew children were killed and thrown in the Nile. Why? Because he was so consumed with his own success. See, here's what I've realized through studying God's Word. When you get consumed with your success, there is one thing that you will realize very quickly. Success is never enough for those that are chasing it. Have you ever met anybody that was chasing success that said, whew, I got it. Have you ever met anybody that was chasing worldly things and said, whew, I got enough. I know very wealthy people that still want one more dollar. I know people that have a lot of amazing toys and they're always looking for the next. I know people that have amazing houses and they're looking for something a little bit nicer. I know people that have amazing pieces of property and they want something a little bit different. I don't, like, like, have you ever noticed that a lot of times when we judge our success, it's an insatiable desire of something that we can never really satisfy because, last week, we're wanting things that in reality we really don't want. Can I show you how this plays out in God's Word? Let's think about these three examples I gave you. King David. King David. What would have happened if Saul would have called him? What would have happened if Saul would have said, you know what, I am, 
I am desiring my success. I don't want anybody to replace me. I'm going to find this little scrawny little kid. He's a shepherd boy. I know he's got these like he killed a giant. Great. He killed a lion with his bare hands. Great. But I'm going to find him and I'm going to kill him. How big of a deal is that? And through King David, we get King Solomon. We get the building of his temple. And it's through King David's lineage, that, that king that God said, this is a man after my own heart, that we get what? Baby Jesus. But you know, it's even bigger than that, isn't it? Think, think about what, what, what would have happened if we wouldn't have had Moses. What if the Pharaoh could have gotten what he wanted and got his succeeder from coming? What if there wasn't a Moses and God's people and the deliverance and the mouthpiece and the burning bush and the Ten Commandments? Think of all the things that are there that if he could have gotten what he wanted that would no longer be because of one man's desire for success. And of course, the last one's probably just as big, isn't it? What if Herod could have kept Jesus from ever being Jesus. How much of a game changer would that have been for so many different people? How much of a concept would there be going on in today's world if Herod would have gotten what he wanted, which was what? I am so consumed with my success that I don't want to have anybody ever knock me off of this hill. Can you imagine the legacies that would be changed? Jesus being fully man, yet fully God. Can I tell you some of the things I wrote down? Listen to this. You are not knocking people off a hill. Sometimes you are destroying a legacy. See, one of the reasons why I think it's so important for us to be life-giving and not self-consumed. And the reason why I think that great leaders don't get consumed with their own success, but actually get the people that are around them and try to help them be successful is because we start realizing that we're not so arrogant and narcissistic to think that our life is going to be the, the predicator to everything great that's ever going to come in this world. See, the three examples that I gave you, these three people, the Pharaoh, Saul, and Herod, these kings, they all thought, that their life was the biggest deal of any life that was ever going to be. And they thought that they were the greatest thing that had ever happened. And they really thought that this world would be ruined if they weren't the ones in those positions. The problem is, is all three of them were very, 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 very small pawns in this huge plan that God calls His ways. And if I can say that about kings and pharaohs, I want to be careful the way I put this. But is it possible? Is it possible that the things that you're chasing are really a desire to be self-gratifying and significant rather than being a life giver? See, here, here's the whole point of today. The reality is, there is a king of the hill. 
The hill is called Golgotha. The king was on a cross. And he went to that hill so that you would never have to worry ever again about worrying about getting knocked down or knocked off or not being enough. See, when I look at these three men in God's word, what I really think about is is how much self-denial and lack of self-esteem they must have had to be so consumed. I don't look at them as arrogant. I don't look at them as cocky. I look at them as being people that are, that are probably, like you've probably seen it in today's world. You ever met somebody or, or had a chance to read somebody's story that the world would say they have everything only for them to come out and talk about how terrible life is, depression they struggle with, and, and heaven forbid they may even end their own life. And we look from our perspective and go, my goodness, how in the world, out of anybody, I would think that that person would have it all. But yet they were totally dissatisfied because they were going after the things that they wanted only to find them and realize it's not what they wanted. So with freeze frame, with one week left, here's what I want to ask you. Have you been a little bit narcissistic this summer? Like even looking at your picture, like I said earlier in worship, and going, wow, man, yeah, I need to change some things. Man, my life right now could really be better. Like there's some things I think God wants for me right now. If you're doing that, you're in a very dangerous situation. You're going to find yourself on top of a hill trying to keep everybody from climbing. You're going to find yourself creating doubt and struggles and oppressing people. See, if you're doing that, then what you're doing is you're entering a stage where you're not trying to give life. You are literally trying to just get your life. See, that, that's one of the issues I have sometimes with, with certain phrases. You know, where you're like, hey, get your best life now. But where in God's word is everything consumed with me getting mine right now? I told somebody this last week, we were joking around, and, and I said, you know, there are a lot of things that I do right now. And I've actually joked around with a few of my kids and said this, and I, I almost think it hurts their feelings. And I'm trying not to hurt their feelings, but I'm trying to get them to think forward. Because there are things that I'll do in my life that I literally will look at them and say, listen, I love you, but I want you to know that what I'm doing right now is not really because I love you and want to help you. Like right now, I'm doing this for my grandchildren. Like some of the things that I'm doing right now, it's not that I don't want God's best for you, but I'm not doing these things because of you. I'm doing these for your grandchildren. I'm doing these for the great, great, great grandchildren. Like I'm trying to do some things to put our family legacy in a situation, not to be, oh, these major wealthy, they, no, no, to have things that are bigger than what this world can offer. Like I want to look back at a picture at the end of my life And see how life went from a whole lot of doubt 
to destiny. Moving life from doubt to destiny. I think that's where most people live. They doubt so much that they never allow God to move them into like destiny. This is my plan. This is what I have for you. This is what I want for you. This is good. And it's not because God wants so much for you, though he does, but because he wants so much for your children. And he wants so much for your children's children. And for their children. Through generations and generations and generations. See, the crazy thing about this story is there's really a, an X factor. See, there's three people that tried to end a legacy and then ended up being their, their demise. You know why? Because God had already set it in motion that nothing was going to stop Jesus from being king of the hill. If he had stopped Moses, he'd have stopped Jesus. If he'd have stopped King David, he'd have stopped Jesus. If he had gotten a hold of King Jesus, guess what? He would have stopped him. And so what ended up being the demise of some amazing people all became futile in their efforts. Why? Because you can't stop God's amazing legacy. But what you can do is remove yourself from it. So can I ask you a question? Are you living life to get it? Or to give it. The things that you're wanting when you get them, is it what you really want? Or is it just eliminating your options to go get the things that you really want? Did any of you do the funeral exercise I talked about last week? Did any of you ask the question, what do I want people to say about me at my funeral? Did anybody think through that and say, you know, hey, you know, Mickey, I did that. You know what I found out? I want them to talk about my truck. I want them to talk about how I love to fish. I want them to talk about my bass boat. I want them to talk about my ski boat. I want them to talk about my house on the lake. I want them to talk about my river house. I want them to... Did anybody get that? Now, I know a lot of you just got totally furious with me. People turned off the TV. They're like, let's go to lunch. This guy's, listen to me. I promise there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I encourage those things when you're using them to be life-giving, not just trying to get your life. See, as we get closer to the end, next week is the end of this amazing, fun series that we've been in. And if you have thought that the whole point was for you to look at your life and to stop there, you're taking too small of a picture. You know, I've started praying a different prayer lately. Reading through the book, Double Blessing, and thinking about crossroads, and thinking about known and needed, and, and where we're going. And 
And the biggest prayer that I have for you and for me is that our life would outlive our earthly presence. That our life would outlive our earthly presence. And you can't do that if you're playing King of the Hill. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.